Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. It's so good to be with you this morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I want to remind you that this is National Catholic Schools Week, and we're going to talk about the importance of Catholic schools and the impact on our children with Morning Air contributor Ann Flynn coming up uh, in a little while at the bottom of the hour. Now, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show, and you can always send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. On Tuesdays, uh, we always remember the guardian angels. Each one of us has a guardian angel, so pray off to your guardian angel asking these heavenly companions for help. I want to bring in our morning air team as we do every morning, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, uh, what are a few of the big stories making headlines uh, this morning? Well, guys, one of the big stories, uh, Mark Houck, the uh, pro-lifer who is a sidewalk counselor in uh, Philadelphia and accused of assaulting a, a clinic volunteer, was acquitted of charges on Monday. Uh, the case said to be nothing but an intimidation tactic by the Biden Justice Department, that according to Peter Breen of the Thomas More Society. Well, uh, Glenn, this is a huge, huge uh, victory, uh, not only for Mark Houck and his family, but for all pro-life Americans uh, who uh, protect or help women outside of uh, abortion uh, clinics. Uh, listen to uh, this father of seven, Mark Houck's uh, reaction, this emotional reaction after uh, the verdict, courtesy of Catholic News Agency. I'm just uh, so grateful for the, uh, the men that he surrounded me. Thomas More Society, the best lawyer in the city of Philadelphia. My family. I'm, I'm George Bailey today. <laughs> you gotta love it. Uh, he feels like George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life. Uh, Attorney Peter Bream, Vice President and Senior Counsel at the Thomas More Society, spoke with our Drew Mariani on the Drew Mariani Show yesterday after the decision came down. This is the first time they've ever prosecuted a sidewalk counselor for an altercation with an aggressive abortion clinic escort. If every squabble on the sidewalk becomes a federal felony, you know, we're looking at 11 years in a penitentiary for it, it would utterly chill sidewalk counseling across the country. In this case, I mean, we got a full victory, unanimous verdict, not guilty, both counts. And I'll tell you, uh, yes, the jury was deadlocked on Friday. Well, the jury came in this morning, we had some issues, and one of the jurors was excused that alternate juror was seated. Within an hour, they had a verdict. It was the juror that needed to be excused that was causing the deadlock. And once you had 12 jurors who were you know, ready to deliberate and, and be a part of the process, we got that clear not guilty verdict. Yeah. So it was really only an hour That's that the fantastic. whole jury deliberated. And, of course, you could listen to Drew's entire interview on the Drew Mariani Show podcast at RelevantRadio.com. Glenn, these were bogus charges from the Biden administration to begin with. Yeah, really seen as uh, intimidation. And it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting when they look to really uh, trump up some of those charges. Uh, I know you get to hear a lot from 
Brian Gibson with Pro-Life Action Ministries. We've uh, had him on Morning Air several times based out of Minnesota, fighting laws in Minnesota, too, uh, where they're starting to harass sidewalk counselors. And so the states where abortion is still legal, it, it's harder to fight for life now, despite Roe v. Wade being overturned. Well, it'll uh, it'll be good to, to see uh, Mark Hauk not being able to speak about the case. I'm sure he's going to be uh, traveling around the country uh, sharing with everybody exactly uh, what happened. Meanwhile, uh, Pope Francis uh, began his six-day trip uh, to Congo and South Sudan. Uh, this is uh, the first time uh, that a Holy Father travels uh, to Congo in 37 years uh, since uh, Pope John Paul II did it uh, back uh, back in the 80s. Yeah, 52 million Catholics in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and uh, the Holy Father got his start, as he often does, with a, a visit to the Basilica of St. Mary Major on Monday, and uh, entrusting his upcoming trip to uh, to Mary. And um, on a lighter note, today uh, is very interesting, uh, very appropriate. National Hot Chocolate Day and National Plan Your Vacation Day. Uh, it was cold when I got into my car this morning, guys. How cold was it, John? Uh, it was really cold. <laughs> it was about minus three. And um, wow, uh, all I can say is bundle up. Okay, Glenn, how cold is it where you are? Let's see. At the moment, we've warmed up to minus 13. Uh, throw the wind chill, we're about minus 30. So, but you know, with the studio. Don't throw your I'm hot chocolate in. in the air. Is that when it freezes, <laughs> it turns into dust? Is that. Is it cold I tell you, there was one morning back in about, I want to say, 1996. It was uh, 42 below uh, at the station I was working at in uh, suburban St. Paul, Minneapolis. And we actually went out and bought a second thermometer the day before to get ready. We were outside goofing around doing all those tricks. You blow the soap bubble things and, you know, they like, they're supposed to pop. It wasn't that cold, I guess. They kind of crumpled. Uh, but, you know, we're doing all these experiments uh you know, uh, outside more at minus 42 than ever. But that's the, the coldest air temp I've been. I was in 100 below wind chill at one point when they used to calculate it and make it sound a little colder than they do now based on the elevation of where they take those measurements. And so, uh, you know, uh, I'll let you guys talk about the hot chocolate. Though. I think it should fair. just be national listen to this Beach Boy song day because <laughs> that doesn't make you feel warmer. I don't know what does. Hey, uh. this will make you feel warmer. Pitchers and catchers report in just a couple of weeks uh, for spring training. How do you like that? There There we go. go. Right around the corner. Exactly. All right. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. We uh, begin every morning, as we always do, in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on the show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888 914 
1-800-227-8849. Now, according to tech experts, uh, the hottest startup in Silicon Valley right now is OpenAI, the Microsoft-backed developer of ChatGPT, a much-hyped chat box that can actually write a poem, a college essay, or even a line of software code. According to CNBC also, uh, smartphone shipments have plunged to a low not seen since 2013, their largest ever decline. Why is this happening? Joining us live uh, this morning for another Tech Tuesday uh, from Indianapolis is our tech expert and longtime morning air contributor, Mark Mastriani, to talk about everyday AI and uh, the decline in smartphone shipments. Mark is a passionate Catholic dad, a husband with 20 plus years of technology, new product and development experience for all things faith and tech. You can always follow Mark on Twitter at God Loves Tech. Good morning, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us on another Tech Tuesday. Great to be with you, as always. Good morning. Let's uh, warm up with a, a warm coffee and, and, and talk about tech, everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> Happy Tech Tuesday. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and uh, some of the changes uh, that are dramatically uh, changing our everyday life. First of all, I'm sure there are some people who, you know, are kind of fuzzy on what AI actually is. Can you first explain what it is before we talk about how it's changing our lives? Yeah, I'm so grateful. That's exactly where I was going to go first, John. Let's take a wide view. Let's go 30,000 feet up and look at the landscape for a, for a couple minutes. So first and foremost, uh, artificial intelligence is a fancy word for computer code that can predict and anticipate a next move or a pattern. This has been around for a while, but there have been significant uh, media-worthy, <laughs> uh, media-grabbing headlines in the last nine months. So that we'll, we'll get to that. Okay, so where have we been, where are we, and where are we going? Okay, where have we been has simply been pattern recognition was kind of the first generation. And I would call that generation 1998 to, to 2014. <laughs> In that first generation, what uh, artificial intelligence enabled people to do was mostly in manufacturing and industrial applications to identify hazards based on uh, patterns. So it's actually some of the technology that automated uh, autonomous driving algorithms are using today. If a machine is about to hit an obstacle and potentially harm the operator or the obstacle itself, that's something to be avoided and it's good to not only save harm potential harm, but also cost for that to be avoided. So there has been these pattern recognition style artificial intelligence for a couple decades. And that's a good thing uh, to avoid uh, crashes, to avoid uh, robots uh, running into operators in manufacturing facilities, that there's sensors that determine proximity and alert uh, the system to pause or to stop in order to avoid human harm or harm to the materials that are being used in the manufacturing process. 
let's take a step forward. If you can recognize a pattern, what else could you do? So in the 20 teens, up until about 2020, the next step would be, what can you anticipate? Is there predictive things you could do with AI? And that's where we've seen social media companies trying to feed you the next possible thing you might be interested in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hysterical. I mean, I, I'll look up, you know, uh, a pair of baseball spikes for my son. And then for the next few days, I get ads like crazy uh, for baseball mm -hmm. equipment. Yeah, that's a, a combination of this predictive piece plus so, some ad tech that's been optimizing around it. It's taking patterns that have been stated by the user and then just keeping to feed, feeding the person more of it. But there's also a good application of this predictive AI. So I worked for a company here in the U.S. that makes huge diesel engines. Why would diesel engine companies want predictive analytics? Well, let's imagine for a moment you're a truck driver of a 15-liter diesel engine truck going across the country with life-saving medicine or with um, the most important payload of all, <laughs> you know, something for our children or something for uh, a hospital across the country. Wouldn't you want to know the likelihood of that truck successfully uh, crossing the country? So what the predictive analytics within AI can do is take all the data from 15 liter diesel engines that have ever driven and determine the likelihood of the success of that trip and tell the fleet manager and the truck driver how safe they are for their trip based on the conditions of the engine, some of the things that they can see with the skilled mechanic and some things that only sensors can see inside of an engine. This is the generation that I would call the predictive AI. Wouldn't well, you want to know? And wouldn't that be helpful? Well, Mark, I started to say, you know, I, I get a taste of uh, AI, uh, this artificial intelligence. Every time I get in my car after the show to go to daily mass, it's pretty kind of almost comical sometimes. I, I just chuckle. Uh, the AI uh, within um, my Apple Maps it always knows which day I'm going to what parish because I alternate parishes. And it'll tell me St. Mary's, uh, you know, um, Holy Cross. It'll 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 know before I even uh, tell it what to do. It's it's I, I get a gotcha. chuckle in seeing how technology is working these days. John, I was going to give you another great example that's almost exactly the same thing for me. In the morning, I tend to walk the dog early in the morning to a prayer app and uh, to pray and meditate, Catholic prayer and meditation. And my phone knows that during that part of the day, I'm most likely to use that app and it puts it at the very top of my app screen of all the apps that I'm uh, available to use. It puts it towards the top because it knows typically first thing in the morning, I check weather and prayer and meditation Catholic apps. So <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. I'm so right there with you. They, these are so great examples, practically speaking, of how uh, AI, this uh, artificial intelligence, uh, can be a benefit to everyday Catholics. Absolutely. 
And, and here's what comes next, John. The next chapter, where we are at the moment, and a little glimpse into where we're headed, it's called generative, generative AI. So in 2021, a company called OpenAI, currently a privately held company with lots of funds in the bank <laughs> from, as you mentioned, folks like Microsoft, produced a application, basically is what I would call it, called DALL-E, D-A-L-L hyphen E, DALL-E, which allows a person to type in a sentence and DALL-E can make you a beautiful picture that describes uh, what you see in the sentence. Say you want a, a picture of an astronaut riding a horse on Mars, okay? DALL-E can take that sentence, look at every picture that's ever been made of astronauts, horses, and Mars, and generate in a few seconds a beautiful picture that no one has ever seen before of an astronaut riding a horse on Mars. In 2022, DALI-2 came out this past fall, September 2022, to stunning reviews. Not only can you put an astronaut on a horse on Mars, but you can do, you can make this picture in the style of a Renaissance impressionist painter or photorealistic. Wow. You can add the style of the picture that you are imagining. And creators, graphic designers are saying, wow, this, this is special. There was actually some YouTubers out there that gave a challenge to graphic designers and to Dali side by side. And, you know, for the most part, both creations were gorgeous. And it was essentially down to the YouTuber's personal preference. Not really the quality of the two images were both very, very good. A trained eye can see which image Dali created and which image a graphic designer created. But Dali 2, which is based off of OpenAI's platform, is generative. It can create an image from words. Okay? It's pretty amazing. Now, you, you got to know, you, I'm sure that the, the tech geeks uh, love uh, this kind of technology, uh, uh, DALL-E. Uh, but uh, what is the practical application for uh, everyday folks? Well, that's where we're at right now. So as we look forward, OpenAI just released over Christmas, New Year, holiday timeframe, uh, ChatGPT. ChatGPT is more of a chat bot. You can ask it questions. It'll formulate answers based on all of the questions it's ever answered. It's considered the next step for OpenAI. It does take a lot of computational power. So where we're headed is could ChatGPT threaten the American educational system? Potentially, there are, there are people who are looking into right now, uh, if you ask ChatGPT a calculus question, most of the time ChatGPT will answer the calculus question correctly. And if you if it answers it incorrectly and you correct it, the next time you ask ChatGPT the same calculus question, it'll answer correctly. Okay? 
So what does that mean for us? We have to be mindful that there's tools like this available for creative good. We can co-create with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with our Creator God. We can create great things using these platforms for generational and societal good. But it can also be used for cheating. So we have to put in place good guardrails. And plagiarism. (laughs) Absolutely. So speaking of plagiarism, you can ask ChadGPT, as you mentioned in the intro, John, I'd like you to write a Java function, (laughs) Java is a software engineering language, to perform this particular set of tasks. And it'll spit it out. And you can check it, and you can check it right into your software code, and you're done. For, it takes about 20 seconds to do the work of a human uh, that it would normally take two to four days. So it's good that it can help us move forward in creating new software products and new things to uh, make our lives easier and better. But it is also, I always use the analogy, John, the tool is as good as the person holding the tool in their hands. A hammer is neither good nor bad. It depends on the motive of the person holding it. We can use these tools for very good uses, but we also have to be aware of the tool's capabilities so we can keep ourselves safe and our families safe from their uses as well. Mark, uh, final moments uh, here this morning. In other tech news, uh, smartphone shipments have plunged uh, to a low that we haven't seen since uh, back in 2013. Uh, This is the largest uh, decline uh, that we've seen. What's your take on why this is happening? It's called the uh, disruptive innovation and the, the plague of good enough. So there's a great book out there by the author Clayton Christensen called The Innovator's Dilemma. We've hit a point where these products are so good and their quality is so good, they're lasting way longer than their anticipated use cases, which is why my teaser for the coming Tech Tuesdays, John, we're going to see a lot more headsets coming out soon. The use case for a smartphone is still very, very good. It's a good daily tool but it's no longer necessary to update every year or potentially not necessary to update every two years. What the major hardware tech companies like Apple, Samsung see coming down the road, they see that this demand is sliding and leveling off, that there's been a mass adoption of smartphones, and they're gonna start pushing augmented reality and virtual reality headsets. And this is affecting both Apple and Samsung, the, the two big ones. You bet. It's, it's affecting all the, the two big ones and about 30 little ones. <laughs> they're all looking at this and they're seeing uh, they have to play good chess here. They have to make great daily products that uh, anyone is going to be. The world has been buying these every day <laughs> for the last 20 years. Uh, since 2007, 2006. So it's t- it's, they always have to innovate and have a very solid daily product available on the market, but they can't depend on the growth rates that have been around for the last 15 years. So they have to innovate and they have to come up with the next big thing.
Well, Mark, uh, I finally gave in and bought an iPhone 13 last spring. I plan on holding on to it uh, for a while, so I won't be getting a, a new one anytime soon. As always, I really appreciate uh, your perspective and your expertise. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Mark. Mark Mastriani, our tech expert for all things faith and tech. You can follow Mark on Twitter at GodLovesTech. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about National Catholic Schools Week with Morning Air contributor Ann Flynn. If your kids attend a Catholic school, stay with us. There is much more to come on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning, the last Tuesday in the last day of the month of January here in the new year. Now, today is the memorial of St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians, named in honor of St. Francis de Sales and the Daughters of Our Lady Help of Christians. St. John Bosco was an enlightened educator, uh, dedicating his life to the welfare of young boys and girls, so he is called the Apostle of the Youth. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 1 John 4.18. The beloved disciple St. John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Whatever the situation, no matter how tough or how difficult it may be, our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want us to live in fear. Jesus the Lord said bluntly, fear is useless. What is needed is trust. So we need to present uh, all of our fears uh, to Jesus the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now, do you know that this week we are celebrating a National Catholic Schools Week? It started back in 1974 to celebrate Catholic education in the U.S. Did you go to a Catholic school? I can tell you firsthand that this reporter went to Catholic schools, and I probably wouldn't be sitting here hosting this show this morning if it weren't for my Catholic education and formation. What about your children? Do they attend? Do the kids attend a Catholic school? Have you ever wondered why enrollment at Catholic schools is growing these days? Could the mission and the method of a Christ-centered education be part of the reason that Catholic schools indeed are growing? Joining us live this morning is retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn with much more perspective on National Catholic Schools Week. Ann had 20 years of teaching experience in Catholic schools. She was named Minnesota's uh, Honor Teacher of the Year uh, in 2021 from Minnesota's Independent School Forum. She was the Evening School of Religion Coordinator and Teacher for 15 years and is a cancer survivor, a wife, a mother, and a grandmother to seven children. Good morning, Anne. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Thank you for having me. And can you explain to us um, why uh, we celebrate uh, a Catholic Schools Week across our nation this week? 
Well, it is an important day, or actually an important week to celebrate. We actually started on Sunday. Um, normally, our Catholic Schools Week, it's a big kickoff. There's a big mass and everything, and then we start celebrating the whole week. And it is important to um, kind of assign some special time to celebrate what we've done. We don't get a lot of um, news, so to speak. So it's a way to get us out into the community because a lot of the Catholic School Week activities include, um, you know, uh, community service projects for the kids that they have to perform and invitations for the community to come into the school to see what we do. And um, so we don't get a lot of, you know, promotions. We're, you know, you don't hear a lot about Catholic schools and what's going on in the buildings and that kind of thing. This is an opportunity for us to um, do that and for people to experience it. So it's always been a vital part of the decision-making, you know, for every family and every parent. And it's a week-long occasion so people can kind of get a glimpse of our, of our formation, our programs, and the teachings that the Catholic schools have to offer. Can you talk about the, the theme for this National Catholic Schools Week? Yes, our theme has been faith, excellence, and service. And we put them actually in that order for a reason, faith coming first, of course, the excellence of our education, and then taking that excellence and moving it into service, um, service of others, and especially in the, in the direct community where your school is located. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a nice theme, but it, it really does have a meaning because uh, f- uh, faith being number one, this is why parents send their kids to Catholic schools uh, for, for the faith formation, uh, for the pursuit of excellence, and also to teach them uh, about service. Absolutely. And I think a lot of families really appreciate, even non-Catholic families, I've dealt with, when I um, finished up my last year, um, at my school, we um, had almost a third of the students being non-Catholic, obviously Christian mostly, but a lot of non-Catholics. And it's um, actually a great opportunity for our children in the classroom to go home and evangelize to these parents. Um, So it's a a win-win situation. And I think people that aren't Catholic see the value in it, even though they aren't Catholics per se, they're Christian usually, or at least see what value there is in having a Catholic or Christian background in education. Just the way the people are in the building. I've had so many people that will go on tours of our our building and say, there's just a vibe here that you can just sense the community. You can sense that the children are really truly loved and that the people that are teaching your kids all the way, and, and not just teaching them, all the way down to the custodians. They are fantastic. They're there to help and serve the kids. And you do. You get a, a sense of we're here to serve you and your families. We're not here to take over and as, as parents of your kids. No, 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 no. We are charged with being a support to the parents. And I think that's what makes us unique in the education system. I find it uh, fascinating. Uh, my son attends a, a Catholic prep school, and uh, there's um, there's Muslim kids, there's Greek Orthodox kids, a, a, a few um, other Christian denominations, some Lutheran kids, and yet those parents send those kids to that Catholic school because they know they're going to get a good education. That's true. And they also, I think, know and realize that we don't push our 
um, Catholicism onto our non-Catholic students. That's not our our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And we can present it. And, we, you know, people are, are told that when you do have your child in our Catholic school, we are going to be teaching Catholicism. So, you know, but we aren't going to push it. We're not going to force you to be this. Because, like I said, we are not the first teachers. The parents are. And second of all, the Holy Spirit pretty much trumps everything that we all do, right? Um, so we'll let him do his job. And, and uh, we do ours. That is a great perspective. We can never forget the role of the Holy Spirit. We just plant the seeds and the Holy Spirit does the, the rest. Now, Anne, you being a retired Catholic school teacher uh, in two plus decades uh, as, as a teacher uh, in Catholic schools. What have you seen firsthand in terms of the impact that Catholic schools have uh, on our children? Well, I have my, had my own two children go through Catholic schools, so I can see in them, now that they're adults and having their own children, um, the impact. I'm so grateful for their teachers. Um, I, I can't even put words to it. There, there are a couple of standout ones, but all of them have their back. They all helped guide them when I couldn't kind of thing. You know how, especially our male teachers, our male Catholic school teachers was so important. They play an important role. And because um, I, I, me being a mom of boys, and it's, um, they've, they've helped so much. I can see it. They have a work ethic that I think most kids I see don't have. They have a sense of right and wrong that is powerful and help help them tremendously in their decision making as parents now. It's it's a I would highly recommend it. I can't put my words in there today. Sorry. Well, Anne, I can tell you, like I mentioned in the uh, intro, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here hosting this show, talking to you about Catholic Schools Week if it wasn't for my Catholic education, beginning from kindergarten, grammar school, high school, uh, and even college. Um, you know, I'm so grateful uh, to the Sisters of Christian Charity that taught me in grammar school, the Benedictine monks in high school, the Franciscans in college. Um, I, you know, the formation, and the, the seeds of the faith, even though they were dormant for a while there when I was a young guy, young and dumb, um, they they have uh, they they did they did the job. Good, you know, and that's that's something that I think all teachers, especially teachers of the really little ones, kindergarten through maybe fifth or sixth grade, you wonder. I always wonder. I taught second grade for many years, and you wonder, did you did you make an impact? You know, but I I have to say the best impact that I felt ever in my entire life was when I did decide to retire that my replacement teacher was a former student. And that that was the icing on the cake for me. I'm going to get a little emotional here. I really feel so strongly about this school, the education that my, ch- my own children got that hopefully I gave you know, you get up in the morning and you're driving into work and the whole time you're praying, please, God, let me make it make a difference in someone's life. Help me not hurt anyone. That was always my prayer. Please don't let me hurt anyone with my words, actions, whatever. And I think um, most of those teachers in the building going into th- to school every day are saying the same thing to them. They want, you know, you never mean to say anything bad to a child or, or hurt them. And, and you always wonder, did it, my words, you know, hurt them or help them? Because sometimes 
even a harsh word can be helpful to a, a specific student. You never really know how all this goes. So you do, you have to leave, leave your desk in the evening saying, Lord, I did my best. It's up to you now. And let me tell you a real quick story. Uh, I was reunited with my eighth grade teacher a few years back uh, after I produced and directed the 40 film. I actually brought the film and showed it to all the Sisters of Christian Charity in the convent. And I brought a photo from eighth grade with all the kids in the class. And she autographed it for me and she wrote, you get an A. So, wow, you know, you just never forget uh, the impact of some of of, of our teachers, uh, you know, from uh, Catholic uh, education. Right, right. And in, you just, you remember them, hopefully. I've had several students come, um, come back to the classroom when they visit after they've been in high school a while and they come in, they pop in and say hello. It's always a heartwarming experience. And just getting random emails, um, miss you or whatever. It's, it's just very heartwarming because it's not just about the education, is it? It's about teaching that whole child and developing a relationship with them, it's so important. They're not just cogs in a machine here. We're talking about the value of each one of these kids in the classroom, what they're going to be, who they're going to become. And, you know, there's a big responsibility on your shoulders knowing that, you know, that one year with you is, is impactful in some way. And it's it can be scary and intimidating, but well, you know, like your like your like your beautiful verse this morning about not being afraid. <laughs> you know, you can't scare me. I'm a teacher, right? Absolutely. Uh, I will want to invite our uh, early bird listeners this morning here on Morning Air. If you went to a Catholic school and you want to share uh, your experience, the, the impact that it had on your life, uh, or perhaps maybe your children go to a Catholic school and you want to share what that's been, or maybe you might want to just do a a thank you, a shout out to your teacher at, at Catholic school. Uh, we're taking your calls for retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn. 888 is the number. 888 We're going to take a short break as we continue our conversation with Ann Flynn. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. This is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Jump into the conversation. Call 888 is the number. 888 Welcome back to Morning Air uh, here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales as uh, we continue our conversation about Catholic Schools Week, the impact of Catholic education uh, as we continue our discussion with uh, retired, uh, longtime Catholic school teacher, Anne Flynn. Uh, Anne, um, there's uh, so much to talk about. We have a few callers uh, that are joining us here uh, this morning. I wanted to get real quickly your thoughts on the the fact that something that we've seen here in in the last few years um, of... uh, Catholic parents uh, trying to avoid uh, wokeness that is out there in the world and enrolling their children more and more in Catholic schools uh, to get out of that wokeness. Yes. <laughs> I think that's it's a big plus that um, the Catholic schools have to offer. We are not seeking division. We're seeking unity. And I think people strive for that. You want a common goal. I think everybody wants that in your life and structure. Um, I think even as adults, we 
thrive on structure. And what better structure than the Catholic Church? I mean, it's been there for 2,000 years. There's a there's a specific structure. There's also a unifying um, belief in God, in a higher power, in, um, you know, in life everlasting, and that you're going to have to also, there are consequences to your actions, not just here, but in the next life. If you've got, you've got purgatory teachings that um, are pretty strong that, you know, promote people to be good here. And you're not going to get that in a public education setting where they're just promoting all this divisiveness, you know, just everybody's separated. You've got this group here and this group there. And I don't know what all your goals are, but I know in our Catholic Church, our goal is to get to heaven. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Absolutely. Carol is joining us uh, this morning from uh, Southwest Wisconsin. Good morning, Carol. Welcome to Morning Air. Uh, you're on with uh, Ann Flynn. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I went to St. Mary Mother of God School in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and I absolutely loved it. Well, I so much appreciate you sharing with us, uh, uh, Carol. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of folks out there uh, love uh, their Catholic schools and can never f- uh, forget them. And uh, I know that, uh, and we've seen this uh, time and time again. Yes, it's it's um, it's good to hear that of the good experiences. And but you know what? We I know that there are some people that have had bad experiences in the Catholic school. But we want to extend, you know, to everyone that you are always welcome in our schools. We are always welcome to participate um, in your via your church, your parishes. Um, Come and see what we're about. Even if you've had a bad experience, come and check it out again because um, maybe some things have changed. I know even my husband has had some experiences with the nuns, you know, (laughs) being a little harsh. But if you think about it, back in that day, he said they had like. 50, 60 kids in a classroom. You had to lay down the law, you know, with, with so many kids. Um, so I know some some people had come into our classroom when we gave an open house tour once, and one guy said, oh, I remember that closet. I was in that closet. <laughs> oh, wow. It was very funny. But that's, that. you know, it's, it's there's definitely been a culture shift, of course, and it's a kinder, gentler place. And a, But I think even in public schools, there were some, some harshness. I remember going to a public high school and um, having some of my teachers be pretty rough on some of the students, but that just, that's of course shifted away. But there's a lot of love to be had in these buildings now. And I'd, I'd really encourage people to come back to the, and check out your local Catholic school. Cindy has a story uh, about her um, emotional experience uh, with her education. Cindy joining us this morning uh, from San Antonio, uh, Texas. Uh, Good good morning, Cindy. Hi. um, I went to St. James Celeste Catholic School in La Crescenta. And um, when we, I was hoping I could hold it together. (laughs) Anyways, when during Christmas time, you know, the nuns, when we were young, this is probably first, second, or third grade, the nuns would put a basket or a little bowl of cut-up straw next to the manger, and they encourage us to go inside the church. I knew I was going to get emotional over this, to pray, you know, like a Hail Mary or something, and then you could put the straw in the manger so that at Christmas, baby Jesus was warm. And... um, 
every time, you know, we do the joyful mysteries, and you're supposed to focus on Christ's birth, you know, for the third joyful. I always remember that um, Catholic school experience. I mean, I know other people have complaints, but this is like my absolute favorite memory of Catholic school. And, I mean, I was one of those kids that went to school way back in the day. I'm 66, you know, and I'm a retired preschool teacher. I understand what you're talking about, how things have changed between when, you know, from back then until now. And I agree with you on that. And I don't know, the nuns for me were kind that I remember. The lay teachers were harsher. (laughs) Thanks, uh, Cindy. Your thoughts, Anne? We know this. We do the exact same thing. We have that manger and we have the straw pieces. And when the children do good deeds for one another, they get to keep Jesus warm. So trust that that tradition continues to this very day. And I use that with my grandkids. And it is what a fabulous memory. Thank you for sharing. Great story from Cindy. We go to Indianapolis. Catherine is joining us. Good morning, Catherine. Uh, You're on with Ann Flynn. Hi, good morning. Yes, I just want to uh, talk about my um, story about uh, being a single mom, and I think it's been a blessing for me raising two boys on my own. Um, it's It's been a challenge, and I encourage everyone to please think about sending your kids to, uh, to Catholic schools because they'll... Um, you know, help your kids with those values that they that they need. So I have an older son who's 18, thankfully, and he's now in college, and he has those values. So please think about it, um, sending your kids to Catholic school. It has helped me a lot. Thanks so much, uh, Catherine. Uh, a- any thoughts, Anne? I just would, would totally agree with Catherine. She. She hit the nail on the head. The, the values that are taught in the Catholic school are second to none. And I, I, it does reverberate through the, the generations. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I would also highly recommend it. I had my own kids there, so I can, I can attest to both as a teacher and as a parent. Another thing that we saw after uh, the uh, lockdowns during the COVID uh, pandemic was uh, more and more uh, uh, children being sent to to, uh, to Catholic schools. Uh, again, we've seen an in- increase in enrollment. So obviously, uh, a lot of parents out there see the benefit of Catholic schools. Absolutely, there's no question. We we had so much more freedom during that pandemic. Yep, it was it was a fantastic, um, actually, it was a good experience because. You know, we could show our true colors and how we aren't afraid and how we have that faith in God and that we trust him and his providence in all things. Uh, Final moments, uh, a final word, even for parents who might see it as a financial burden. Obviously, it's expensive to go to a Catholic school, but maybe some words of encouragement of of the importance of that sacrifice. Uh, Worth every penny. And there, and ask, ask your, ask your pastor, ask your school principal. There is oftentimes aid. And for those that do have, my suggestion would be to please give. These, these schools are running on, on air. They don't have the big budgets that a public school has. So donations are critical. And you can even do something as simple as if you shop on like Amazon or some other places, 
offer and uh, a fund that you can uh, apply to your purchases to, for example, Amazon Smile. You can pick your um, school's choice. Well, Anne, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, your uh, perspective based on all of your experience as a teacher. Thanks again. God bless you. Retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn uh, joining us from Florida. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called A Good Bad Hair Day. It was a rainy, humid day, the mother of all bad hair days. I was riding on a bus downtown to go to work. The windows in the bus were covered in condensation, so thick you couldn't see outside. Everyone was wilting. I was sitting next to a man in a business suit and didn't pay much attention until we both got off at the same stop and walked to the same newsstand to get a morning paper. The man running the stand was obviously having a bad day. He was rude, abrupt, and unsmiling as we purchased our papers, which just served to only add more gloom to my day. The businessman caught my eye and smiled, and then he proceeded to smile brightly, thank the newsstand proprietor for the paper and for being open on such a morning to make sure we were able to get our papers. In short, he expressed his appreciation for something that most of us would take for granted. The man running the newsstand responded only with a grunt and a sour expression. The businessman then pleasantly wished him a pleasant day. As we turned away, I asked this man why he'd continued to be kind to the newsman when he obviously didn't care or didn't respond to his expression of appreciation and friendliness. The businessman grinned at me and said, Why would I let someone else control what I say or what I feel or what kind of day I'm going to have? We then separated to go to our respective workplaces. To this day, I don't know who that businessman was, where he worked, or anything else about him. I never saw him again, even though I looked for him on the bus on other days. He appeared briefly in my life and disappeared just as quickly. I don't even remember what he looked like, but I've never forgotten the words he said or the way his smile seemed like a shaft of light on a gloomy day. That was a good 25 years ago, but the impact this had on my life has lasted. I never had a chance to thank him personally, but the way in which I try to choose to look at life as a result of those words is his legacy to me and my thanks to him. Our interactions with people we encounter can impact at least the next five people that person encounters. A smile and words of simple appreciation multiply themselves geometrically. We cannot control people in situations that come to us, but we can always control our response to them. And in such positive decisions lie our control and personal power to make a positive difference. It's something anyone and everyone can do. It's a real legacy that can impact both the present and the future. From Philippians 4.11, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. As always, Glenn, thanks so much. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Martha Fernandez-Sardina will join us to conclude her series on living a faith-filled, hope-anchored, and love-driven life. And Catholic apologist William Albrecht will join us to discuss papal authority and Acts chapter 15. So stay with us. There is much more to come here in the final hour of Morning Air. <laughs> 